Okay, thank you. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Thank you, Dr. Khomeil. Um, Ustad Khubbullah made my job from one perspective easier, from another perspective even more difficult. Well, first, let me thank uh, Al-Mahdi Institute for organizing such a wonderful and highly needed conference to discuss this important topic of freedom of speech and freedom of expression. The title, as you will see, Hermeneutical Implication of Akhbari Usuli Dispute on Books of Misguidance, Kutub al-Balal. So I am not that much concerned with the dispute itself in a substantial manner. Rather, I would concentrate at the end on the hermeneutical implication of that dispute. Let me start with uh, some preliminary remarks. Here in this one, uh, I'm giving certain point which, uh, not the, the one before, please, yes. Here, uh, I deal with certain theoretical and conceptual framework, which later I can use it in analysis of this dispute. We are talking about negative and positive freedom. Let's say, uh, I would translate that to right to choose as a negative freedom, right choice as a representation of positive freedom. Then right to express as a representation of negative freedom and right expression as translation of uh, conceptual translation of positive freedom. Then negative freedom would guarantees uh, uh, freedom to choose and positive freedom supposedly supposedly it would guarantee the right choice or right expression. And we have the case of freedom of expression as a, a very typical, well-discussed case of negative freedom because it does manifest human agency. It does guarantee public reason and ultimately intersubjectivity and that intersubjectivity itself serves human uh, common good. Then of course there are restrictions on uh, freedom of expression. Freedom of expression is not a categorical, unlimited, unrestricted liberty. There are certain limitations which uh, must be discussed in a different paper. Well, keep in mind we have that. And the other extremely important uh, point is we should know that human rights is a self-contained hermeneutical regime. It means it can interpret itself within its own uh, system. 
So you would limit rights by rights, liberties by liberties, and you would define rights by rights and liberties by liberties. So in that manner, it is a self-contained hermeneutical regime. And finally, one important conceptual point is uh, worth mentioning here, of course, not to the scholars, but rather to the larger audience, and that is the concept of non-liquid or lacuma in the law. So whenever there is a lack of or absence of the primary evidences, we resort to the procedural principles or assumptions or Whatever we want to name usul amaliyya depends on your interpretation of usul amaliyya. I sometimes call them procedural principles, sometimes translate them as a procedural assumptions. They are applicable in the vacuum of the primary evidences, let's say in non-liquid situation. Uh, in next slide, what I'm doing, I have introduced four major scholars of the Shia schools of thought, two rather later ones and two uh, early scholars, and there is a logic in picking up these four. With the rather later one, we have Sheikh Yusuf al-Bahrani, a distinguished Akhbari scholar. And he is rather a moderate Akhbari, but at the same time, he is, according to many, is the most distinguished muhaddath and jurist of the Akhbari school of thought, although he is a moderate Akhbari. Then we have Sheikh Murtada Ansari, is the pick of post-Behbahani Usuli school of thought with a huge contribution to the epistemic and epistemological uh, discussion in Shia Usul al-Fiqh. And in early, in early Shia uh, literature and within the early Shia schools of thought, two major figure, Sheikh al-Mufid, uh, one of the father founder of Baghdad School of Thought, and Sheikh Ustaduk Abna Babawai, one of the father founder of Um School of Thought. So it is important to keep this. Uh, Bahrani plus Saduk, Ansari plus Mufid. Ansari, in a way, is a continuation of uh, Mufid School of Thought when it comes to the Book of Misguidance. And Bahrani is continuation of Sadur school of thought when it comes to the book of misguidance. So Usulis versus Akhbaris, although Sadur is not one of the Akhbari, Akhbari is a later movement, but it does have its roots in the thinking of people like Sadur. Uh, that's it. Now we start with the one of the most procedural assumption or presumption or a principle, whatever we like, you like to call it, that is not the 
point to score that at the moment. Keep it undecided, presumption, assumption, principle. Uh, and that is the presumption of liberty. Presumption of liberty is applicable in non-liquid situation when there is no explicit postulation of the norm. There is no textual or pure rational norm in place. So they would apply the presumption of liberty. Similarly to the modern uh, legal system. Which they have rule of law. Rule of law is applicable whenever there is no explicit enactment of law and there would be no responsibility and liability. Liability and responsibility, especially criminal liability, criminal responsibility is at mercy of existing already postulated enacted law. So basically the common understanding, the common understanding is the Osulis are in favor of presumption of liberty, while Akbaris are in a way opposing this idea and they are resorting to either tahrim or tawaqqaf or ihtiyat. There are different, again, reading, different interpretation, different uh, let me say views, but it is widely known that the Usulis are advocates of principle of liberty, principle of freedom in the vacuum of uh, primary source, and Akhbaris are advocates of principle of precaution or possibly even. Uh, Prohibition. Now let's test this one and see how this presumption of liberty is taken seriously. In the next slide, we will see how this is taken seriously by the, uh, let me say, Osulis themselves. So, so I'm taking the Book of Misguidance as an acid test to see how faithful they remain with this assumption of liberty. From the time of Sheikh al-Mufid in his book of Al-Muqna'a up to the current time, almost all the Usulis, that is the typical statement of Usulis I have chosen from Sheikh al-Ansari, uh, holding and maintaining and preserving the book of misguidance is prohibited. So it's a prohibition of preserving and keeping and holding book of mis misguidance. And obviously there is no such a notion in Quran or in Ahadith. So therefore, Usuli needed to prove that by resorting to certain general evidences. And you can see Shaykh al-Ansari here in this uh, 
text, he is resorting first of all to hukmul aql to the uh, judgment of reason as independent of revelation. He believes reason independent of revelation has such a categorical judgment that we have to cut and we have to remove the very source of any source of corruption. The necessity and obligation of removing, complete removal of the very source of the corruption. So reason has such a judgment. And obviously books which misguides people, these are source of corruption, or at least religious corruption. That is uh, the rational argument in favor of prohibition of Qutb al-Dalal. Then you have in Quran at least two verses resorted to by the Shaykh al-Ansari. Verse uh, number six of Surah Al-Luqman, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Rajim, Wa Minan Nasi Man Yashtari Lahwa Al-Hadith Liyudhilla An Sabili Allah, Bighayri Ilmin, Up to the end. So there are people who buy uh, the who buys Lahwa uh, Al-Hadith, which is difficult actually, and one of the point of discussion in tafasir so diversionary talk is the literal translation you have in the people who translated this in english but again it's a matter of any any translation is a matter of interpretation so in order in order that they may lead people astray from the divine way, from Allah's way, from Allah's path, right path, then the, 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 the punishment is waiting for them. And according to the uh, typical understanding of Islamic law, if there is a punishment for something, then you would easily say that things is prohibited. Otherwise, why should lead to the punishment? And uh, there are different interpretation for this verse, but the one advocated by Sheikh Tusi in particular, and some of the Shia interpreter later resorted to and that is the relevant actually that is the relevant interpretation Sheikh Al-Tusi is talking about a man uh, who used to go to Iran at that time buying some books with the stories of Rustam and Isfandiyar and he was bringing it back, reading it to people in order to make people preoccupied with these stories and so they do not listen to Quran. And this is, of course, there is a general monetical principle here that the case does not specify the norm, but yet you can, if this is right, and that is the, let me say, background, 
So it's about a person who used to buy a book, read the book in order to stop people from listening to Quran. And there are other, other verses, there are other ahadith. The one which is interesting, again, uh, a, a man is going to, um, to Imam and he's complaining to his, he's gone to Imam Sadiq, the sixth Shia Imam, and he was complaining that I have a problem. I've been, I'm suffering and I've been afflicted by looking at the star and uh, basically I'm suffering by this astrological uh, things. And Imam is telling him, do you judge based on that, looking at the stars and uh, he said, yes, I do, <laughs> actually. Then Imam told him, burn the book. Uh, and so the books which makes you to go astray and to go to something unacceptable, so burn them. Of course, Sheikh Ansari himself said this is based on the point that this is not, this is not, this is about the book. It's not about giving a remedy to the person how to get rid of the problem. If it is about uh, the book themselves, then that, that hadith is relevant. Otherwise, it could be a, 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 a solution, a remedy to the person's problem, a personal problem of the person himself. Okay. Uh, and the final point is about what are these, what are the books of misguidance themselves? There is a range of opinion here. And actually is, is one of the most ambiguous uh, concept is the concept of book of misguidance itself. What are they? What type of books are classified and should be titled as a book of misguidance? It's not clear. It goes, it's a spectrum of the views. It sometimes even would include dictionaries. It can go up to that. It could include some of book of Orafa or mystics or some of philosophical book. But one can say it is relative and relational both. It's relative to the person and is in relation to the circumstances. So it's not a well-defined, even there is no core for it to say this is really the book of misguidance they are talking, because whatever you see, it's a it's a threshold, it's a uh, point of certainty, still it might not be for another person. Say so even the book of magic, black magic, it might not be for a particular person who is assigned to save the community by the, let me say, a legitimate authority to look at. So it's not like a well-defined, say there is a fixed, notion of Qutub al-Dalal for everyone. And that is the one problematic uh, area, I think, mentioned somehow by Ustad uh, Hubballah before. Uh, 
said Fatima, you have five minutes left. Okay, so sorry, I thought I. Okay. Uh, in the next one, I. In the next slide, what I deal with uh, the principle of precaution. Principle of precaution, which is uh, commonly known as the principle advocated by the Akhbaris, and you would expect Akhbaris to go that. But surprisingly, when you go to the Akhbaris, actual jurisprudential literature and see how much is that presumption in the next slide, you, I have explained how much is that presumption taken seriously by Bahrani as a one typical Akhbari. You see Bahrani when he talks about this Qutub al-Dalal mentioning the, the, the history from the beginning of the Usuli thought, but at the end he gives his own judgment. And I have problem with the norm in its totality because there is no actual text specifically dealing with this notion. And we know prohibition and obligation are both at mercy of, because they are religious norm, you want to attribute it to God, you need explicit text for it. And they are at mercy of explicit evidence. And this, you know, speculation, argumentation, justification you have by this, type of interpretation or indirect things, they are not, in my eyes, are suitable to, uh, let me say, create any religious norm. So then I move to the conclusion by this, to the concluding remark. Once Iqbal Lahori thought Ishtahad is the jurist task to act as a contemporary Islamic lawgivers. Yani, if I want to translate it to the Shia thought, it's a task of Shia Imam must be undertaken by Mujtahideens, task of divinely appointed leader. And Usuli jurists have taken this task seriously, and that is why they are dividing people in two. Uh, categories of laymen and jurists. Akhbari, interestingly, uh, on the other hand, they are opposing both ishtihad and taqlid. So they don't believe in ishtihad as such, they don't believe in taqlid as such. And when it comes to the examination of issues like Qutb al-Dalal, you will end up Akhbari are much more liberals than the Usulis. So going back to the beginning discussion, the hermeneutical implication of this dispute, you see, despite the, the fact that the Usuli are advocates of principle of liberty, they never started with that principle of liberty. And they thought, okay, we have the clear text. We don't need to apply the principle of liberty. And Usuli, who usually are accused to be precocious and at mercy of principle of precaution and starting with the prohibition point, you would see when it comes to such a thing, 
they are because of their positivistic and textualistic thought they are in favor of freedom here and no wonder when you go to the early Shia jurisprudence Sheikh al-Mufid who was rationalist heavily influenced by Mu'tazila to my belief who was one of the father founder of Baghdad school of thought you could see he is the starting point for this Qutb al-Dalal in his Al-Muqna'an but Sheikh al-Saduq who is traditionalist and you expect him to be more strict in his Al-Muqna and other jurisprudential book you see he doesn't he doesn't advocate this idea so we have to uh, get rid of the dogma that Usuli are usually more liberal rationalists are more liberal textualists and akhbaris and traditionalists or more restricted this every situation must be examined must be examined individually and i believe the situation is much more sophisticated to give such a general uh, let me say conclusion that usuli are more rationalism more and hence more liberal usuli are more up to embrace contemporary human rights akhbari are uh, possibly not uh, and that's it for my presentation today and i'm welcoming any any comment and